Well, hi guys, uh, thanks Chuck and Taryn. Uh, we've come to our point in our time together in the service where we're gonna be opening up uh, the Bible and explore what God's saying to us through its pages. Uh, and I just encourage you, maybe if you haven't got one with you right now, go away, scurry away and get one. Um, or if this is all brand new to you and you've never really read the Bible, we would love, well, we really encourage you to maybe download the Bible onto one of your devices. There's lots of apps out there you can do that uh, so that you could continue to kind of follow us as we uh, continue in our series in Philippians. Um, Paul, Apostle Paul, is still in lockdown uh, writing to his friends in Philippi, which was a bit of a Roman colony uh, based on this sort of Aegean coast and uh, I bet it would have been a great place to go on holiday. Probably still is. Not that we're going to have the chance to do that this year. I guess it's uh, Balmedy or Bournemouth <laughs> for us Brits. Anyway, um, when Tori, my wife and I were not long married, we went to visit friends of ours in Paris. And it was there that uh, this particular family, and in particular the dad, introduced me to amazing French wine. And you know, when you've tasted something or tasted the best, it really is difficult to go back um, when you've had a taste for something so, so good. Now, I'm no expert, and I know that you have to lay wine down and turn it, and there's an aging process or a maturing process that wine goes through. But as far as I can read uh, and, uh, is that you can't make uh, bad wine great by just leaving it for years. No, it seems like great wine comes from great grapes that are produced on great mature vines and those vines are cultivated, they're pruned and uh, fed well over the years and they've been planted in the right kind of soil. I think it's the same with people. Um, there's a richness, uh, a fruitfulness that comes with some people uh, and it's really attractive. And when you're around them, you're tasting something of the possibility of who you could become like. I don't know. Uh, I guess I was around a number of people in my late teens who were like that. And they um, gave me a taste of what could be. Uh, they. I, I guess I realized um, they, they had something I didn't have. And ultimately, it was a, a vibrant relationship with Jesus. And later on, I want to make an opportunity for you to taste and know that God is good and he has a plan for your life and maybe to invite Jesus in to your life uh, and to taste that goodness for yourselves. And then for those of us who are uh, Christians and, uh, and we've been uh, following Jesus for a while, when you're around real Christian maturity, um, being around really great examples, it does get under your skin, doesn't it? And, um, and, and that's where we're going today. We're going to be looking a little bit at spiritual maturity and Paul seeks to encourage his friends at Philippi in the nicest way to grow up and to fulfill their potential in God. So turn with me in your Bibles. We're going to be from uh, reading from uh, chapter 3 of Philippians, kicking off in verse 15. All of us who are mature 
should take such a view. And if on what and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern, the pattern we gave you. For, for as I have often told you before, and now say again with even tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destruction, sorry, their destiny is their destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Wow. You know, Spiritual maturity kicks off there, doesn't it? Talking about maturity. Uh, just last week, um, uh, the Leadership Academy guys in our church were asking me what I loved about taking people on trips to Sri Lanka and what, uh, other than the curry that I love, uh, what other things have I enjoyed? You know, I think I can honestly say that spending chunks of time with Leslie Matthews it's just a legend, um, amazing leader, a real example of spiritual maturity. I remember one trip, 10 days with him, we traveled around the island. It was a time when the civil war was really happening and we were visiting refugee camps. And I had the opportunity to ask him lots of questions and um, he shared his heart and, and some of his story and experiences and you learn a lot by just listening to someone like him. But not only that, when you spend time with someone like him and you end up sharing hotel rooms and things like that, um, you enter into a rhythm of their lives. And one morning I woke up, it must've been about half past four, quarter to five in the morning, uh, and I uh, heard a noise. And as I rolled over, I realized what the noise was. Leslie was out of his bed, on his knees, and he was committing the day to God and he was praying and worshiping and you know the reality is spiritual maturity you, you 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 can see it you can hear about it but the reality is when you're around it you feel it and it gets under your skin and it inspires you to become way more like those people it resonates in your soul with a healthy aspiration it seems like Passivity here, uh, sorry, uh, uh, maturity here that Paul's going to talk about is that passivity doesn't lead to maturity. Uh, just growing older doesn't produce that deeper spiritual health that Paul talks about. But Paul here gives us three ingredients that will lead to a kingdom ushering life. And they're all found in verse 17. Uh, Join with others, follow my example and take notes. In other words, listen and learn. Let's be teachable. So let's look at the first thing. Join, connect, connect, be in relationships. Maturity doesn't happen in isolation. We need people around us, be joined with others. And you might be thinking, oh, thanks, James. You know, we've just spent the last 14 or 15 weeks in isolation and I'm not around the people that God has joined me to and uh, I've, I'm feeling a breath by that. And I totally get that. 
and technology can only do a certain amount with Zoom calls and all the rest of it. But I think what Paul is getting at here is, is that we need to be known and to know one another. That is the environment in which we really, really grow. Jesus called 12 individuals to follow him. Uh, and he, in doing so, called them to, to, together, to join with him and to join together, to learn together, to work together, to be shoulder to shoulder together with the same goals of seeing his kingdom come on earth and then to take up that mantle and to continue what Jesus had started. Jesus, he started this whole thing by bringing and joining people together in him. You know, as I get older, um, I'm realizing I need people around me. Uh, in fact, it's a privilege to be surrounded by good friends. Um, they help us, uh, I guess they help you uncover um, some stuff in you that you didn't know was in there, whether it's gifting or a passion and a desire, uh, a dream or even a talent, you know, uh, they help draw it out. Um, and also at the same time, they are so kindly uh, the same people that can see uh, and help us see maybe those cultural or character blind spots that we all have. We need the mirror of being joined to other people. It's the environment and the Petri dish, I think I want to call it that, in which we grow uh, as Christians. And sadly, I think when we pull back from others, when we become disjoined or disjointed, then we lose something. I think it hampers and even stops some of our growing up in God. This word join, uh, the original language talks, kind of gives you a flavor of to be yoked to, cemented to. Um, it cropped up quite a bit throughout Paul's letter to the Philippians. In chapter one, he's talking about standing firm, joined in one spirit, and then goes on and says, contend as one man, be united, joined with Jesus, be in joint fellowship with each other, be joined um, one in spirit and in purpose. You know, and, and it's like this, he's given us a picture of a dance, probably for us in Scotland, a Cayley dance, you know, it's like, um, be joined with Jesus, be joined with other people, be joined to the Spirit in one purpose. And it's like hand over hand, you're moving through the dance. And the question I want to ask, uh, I'm asking myself and us today is where are we in the dance? And are we in the dance? Because those elements uh, to grow and to become mature have to be all uh, we need to be uh, in it all and join to it all. Maybe today you're sitting here and you're thinking, I don't even feel like I'm in the dance. I feel like I've put myself or, or I've just been sat on the sidelines. Well, I think Paul invites us, he stretches out his hand to us today and says, come and join the dance. Come and join Jesus. Come and join one another. Join the Spirit. And actually, as we do that, we're going to grow. Maturity will come. Um, so that's the first thing, join with others. The second thing is, he says in verse 17, follow me, follow me. I'm an, a good example. I don't think he's been arrogant here. Uh, I remember a number of years ago, um, a few of us went up hill walking in, um, up uh, beyond uh, 
Balata Bremar area. Oh, we went up to Loch Nagar and it was beautiful. And we set off and the, the three of us went up the, the hill and sun was shining, but true to fashion, it's Scotland and the weather came in. Now, I should have asked, but I didn't. Uh, one of the guys said that he knew where to go. He'd been there many times before, but very quickly, we re I re well, we both realized this guy didn't have a Scooby where he was and we got really badly lost and it was pretty scary. Fortunately, uh, we came across a little sort of uh, mountain rescue point and I managed to get a bar of signal and I phoned a friend and that friend had an ordnance survey map and he basically um, guided us off the mountain. But the reality is we were following somebody who took us to a place of lostness and actually I followed somebody into danger. Um, who are we following? What do we become, wanna, where do we want to go? Uh, who do we want to become like? Uh, Paul's saying here, listen, why don't you follow my example? And, you know, it, 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 I suddenly realized as I was reading this, Paul is speaking to people that he knows well, and they know Paul well, because he's speaking to people who were, who were at the very root, at the very beginning of the church in Philippi that he started. He was kind of the dad of it all. And I love how that all began. Acts chapter 16, Paul has this vision and God calls him to Macedonia and he goes, him and Silas, I think it is. And they meet a lady uh, who's a, uh, a merchant and it's almost, her name's Lydia, and, and it's almost like she's been waiting for them to come. She's got a bunch of questions and she, they get a chance to answer those questions and lead her to uh, knowing Jesus. Beautiful, hey, God sets this stuff up, it's great. And then the next sort of incident that, that is recorded is that Paul, um, he, he sets this uh, slave girl who's got a spirit of fortune telling free. He commands it to go. And what I love about this is that individual is set free from oppression, but, it, but the gospel, Paul's example, challenges systemic injustice in that moment. What a great example, but it was costly. And as a result of that, he's thrown into prison and him and Silas have been beaten and then they're left in prison, locked up. And it says that they're singing and they're worshiping despite their current circumstances. What an example. And that example causes an earthquake and the entire jail is shaken and the doors are flung open. And as a result of that, the jailer and his entire household come to faith in Jesus. You know, the people that he's writing to in this letter are the very people that have experienced the power of God. And it's come through Paul, Paul's example of faithfulness, Paul's example of preaching the gospel, Paul's example of how he lived, Paul's example of being uh, not allowing circumstances to rule, but God's plan to, 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 to kind of rule his life. You know, that, that amazing picture of, of being in prison, an example of his life brought something of heaven to earth in that moment that caused freedom and liberty for lots of people. That's amazing. What an incredible example. It just begs a question, who are we following? Uh, we've got some great leaders in our church. We are led by some amazing leaders nationally. And what I love about those guys is, like Paul, there is a humility in that 
They're saying, I'm not quite there yet. I've got lots to learn. But there's this deep desire and hunger I'm going to strive for. I'm going to push on to become all that God has called me to. And Chuck talked about that last week. So it's brilliant. So I think if you're looking for people to follow, look for those maybe two ingredients of humility and a passion or a hunger to become more like Jesus. Okay, third thing real quick is that he said, take note. Take note. In other words, listen and learn. Um, Observe. Be teachable. Remain teachable. You know, we've talked a little bit about Leslie already. You know, I call him, and a bunch of us call him, the iPad man. You know, he got this lovely present a number of years ago and uh, of, of an iPad. Everywhere he goes, he takes it. He photographs everything. I remember a couple of years ago, we were at our conference um, and uh, he was there. And uh, somebody was speaking. It was like a little quiet moment. And there was Leslie taking notes on church planting. He's planted 25 churches. And here he is taking notes down. I love that. It's amazing. You know, I've witnessed national leaders kind of taking notes, if you like, when a young person was stumbling through a talk. And our very own Chuck and Taryn, what I love about them is they're always looking for the nuggets amongst our efforts. They're always trying to understand people and the society around us so that we can, you know, adapt and and, and understand, but also connect uh, with people, maybe in new ways. Um, And so I, I, I think... What Paul's starting to get at with this teachability is there needs to be flexibility in our practice, but there will be times when we need to be really solid uh, and stable in our values as we follow Jesus. I want to call the mature uh, people that I know cornflower Christians. And you might laugh at that because I remember as a kid, you remember you took cornflour and you poured water into it. You made this kind of gloopy solution that was really malleable. And at the same time, if you hit it, it just went solid. We need to be solid and resolute in our values of following Jesus. And, and that will have some ethical and moral um, stuff, you know, it's, it's got to be solid. And yet also there's great flexibility in following what the Holy Spirit is doing at this time. I think that's what Paul is kind of getting at. And if we're joined with others, if we're following well and we're remaining teachable, then it results in a different kind of perspective. And that's where I want to land today is that in, you know, in the verses from 18 to 21, it kind of, you know, um, describes um, a, a different perspective. I, I want to suggest that um, if you're mature, your hearts are in, and your heads are in heaven, but our hands and feet are clearly on earth. And in verses 18 to 21, Paul is speaking to those who've probably got it the wrong way around. Uh, if you live for the present and earthly desires, then you'll only ever get an earthly reward. But if your allegiance, or he uses the word citizenship, it is in heaven, then not only do you go to heaven, but your life will bring something of heaven to earth. 
I think the Philippians would have understood that analogy super well. You remember, they're a Roman colony in Philippi. And, um, you know, they've probably spent uh, the last 70 to 100 years making this city feel like mini Rome. Architecture's changing. They're celebrating certain things. It's feeling like Rome. You see, that analogy is a great analogy for us. It's, I think what Paul is really saying is, you know, we're citizens of heaven. We live on earth, but we belong to heaven. And through our lives, Jesus's kingdom should be coming and we should be able to give the people in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our friendships, a real taste uh, of Jesus. And so it seems like the more we are connected to him and to each other, the more closely we're following, the more listening and learning that we do, then the more of heaven comes to earth. And that's my prayer. Uh, I think that's Paul's prayer. I think that's our prayer that that would happen for us today. Why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you for this opportunity today. Lord, we want to take on board um, these three things in particular that Paul highlights to grow in you, to become mature Christians, to be potent people of your kingdom and to give the world a taste of you, Lord. We want to be joined up. We want to be joined to one another. Father, we thank you for our friendships and our relationships and the teams that we're a part of. Help us to value them. Help us to learn from one another. Help us to be flexible by following your spirit. Help us to follow you, Jesus, first and foremost. And, and also, Lord, seek out people that have that hunger and that humility that we too can implement in our lives. Lord Jesus, use us to be a people that bring something of heaven to earth today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.